You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. So we're going to continue on in the book of Galatians. There's only two more weeks. It's this week, and then we're going to wrap this series up next week. And today is, is something that, man, I've, I've been praying about this entire series to get to this point. Because what Paul does in Galatians 5 is he begins Galatians 5 by kind of wrapping everything up that he's already said in chapters 1 through 4. He basically, we see in chapter 5 verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So here's Paul summarizing everything that he has said so far. He says, hey, you were called to freedom in Jesus. Do not fall back into a yoke of slavery. And obviously, the yoke of slavery that Paul was referring to was the law. And he, he continues to just tie this all together. He says, he, he teaches us throughout this, this letter that the law serves no purpose when it comes to salvation. The law can't change us. Only the gospel can do that. And Paul is very clear about that in, the, in, this, in this letter to the church in Galatia. And then in verse 6, he says this. He says, this is what counts. He says, only faith working through love. So he says, hey, all this stuff you're trying to do, you're trying to keep the Ten Commandments, you're trying, to, you're trying to keep the law, none of that matters when it comes to following after Jesus. What matters is that God's grace has, has given us the opportunity to have a relationship with him. And through faith, we can attain that. And Paul's been teaching that, and he continues to do so here. So by now, after going through these first four chapters, I really hope that we understand the concept of saved by grace through faith. That it's by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Jesus alone. That's, that's how salvation comes. That's how we attain that. That's how we can become followers of Jesus. It's not because we can follow a, a list of do's and don'ts. It's not because we can keep the Ten Commandments. Because honestly, we cannot do it on our own. We will fail and we have failed. And because of that, we don't deserve a relationship with God. We deserve an eternity separated from Him in hell. That's the reality. That's the truth. But God, because he loved us, sent Jesus to die for us in our place, to live the life that we were supposed to live, and then he died the death that we were condemned to die. He took our place, he defeated death, he rose from the dead, and he ascended back into heaven. And he makes intercession for believers now. That is grace. It's, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. God has given us life. He has given us life eternal. He has given us the opportunity to, to have a relationship with him because of Jesus, at the expense of Jesus. And that's what Paul is trying to remind these believers 
in Galatia. He's saying, hey, you've heard the truth, and now you're, you're trying to go backwards. And he's been saying that, and he's been saying that. And he really, he really kind of ties it together here in chapter 5 in the first six to seven verses. And praise God for Paul's boldness that he does this. But also, I praise God that Paul didn't stop there. Paul said, hey, you're called to freedom, but then he dives a little deeper and says, hey, but this is what you should do with your freedom. And that's very important for us, because if you remember back to week one of this series, I talked about how people are in prison, and and they spend many years in jail, and they kind of forget what freedom looks like. And then when they get out of prison or they get out of jail after years and years and years, statistics show that they end up back in jail a lot of the times because that's where they want to be, because that's what they're used to. They're not used to freedom. So although they, they get freedom, although they are living in a, a lifestyle where they can have freedom, they don't know how to use it. And Paul understands that aspect of freedom. And he dives deeper and says, hey, this is how you should use your freedom. And he also says, this is how you shouldn't use your freedom. And that makes a difference. We see in Galatians 5, starting in verse 13, Paul transitions into actually putting freedom to work. He writes this, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. God, I pray that you speak this morning through your spirit. God, I pray that lives and hearts are changed and transformed. You get all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So what a statement Paul makes here. He reminds his readers once again that they're called to live in freedom. But he then dives deeper and says, hey, although you're called to freedom, I want you to understand something. Do not use your freedom as license to live life however you want to. How easy it is for us to say God has forgiven me of my sins. God's grace is big. He's bigger than I ever thought he could be. And that gives me license to continue to sin. That gives me license to continue to live however I want to. It's so easy for us to get in that mindset and to believe that. But Paul here says, hey, do not not use your freedom for works of the flesh. Don't do that. How often have you, don't answer this out loud, how often have you in your life been tempted to sin, been tempted to do something, knowing that God didn't approve, knowing that it's not what a Christ follower should do, but understanding in your mind that God's grace was going to cover that anyway. Man, we've probably all been there at some point where we willfully did something we knew we weren't supposed to do, or we willfully did something that goes against the Word of God, believing that God's forgiveness and grace was enough. And please don't misunderstand this morning. God's grace is always enough. But what freedom doesn't do, freedom doesn't give us the license to keep sinning. 
In Romans 6, Paul answers this question for us. He asked the question first in Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, Paul is saying, should we keep living in the flesh just so God's grace is ever more present? Or hey, well, maybe if we keep sinning, it just shows how amazing God's grace really is. Is that the way we're supposed to live life? And Paul answers that in the very next verse, Romans 6, verse 2. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And some may say that, man, living in freedom means that we can truly do whatever we want. And if we try to please Jesus, is that really living in freedom? And that, that's some arguments that I hear when I, when I talk about the freedom in Christ is that, man, if we're truly free, then God doesn't care how we live. We can do whatever we want. And Paul is saying here, does that give us the license to keep sinning? Absolutely not. Because this is what happens. When the gospel changes us, it changes us from the inside out. And then we desire what God desires. We no longer desire sin as much as we desire pleasing our Heavenly Father. It doesn't mean we're not going to be tempted. It doesn't mean that we're not going to fall. It doesn't mean that we're not going to stumble. It means that we are convicted of sin, and we want a life that is on track with the will of God. That's, that's what grace does. That's what the gospel does. That's what a changed life by God does. It changes your heart, not just your actions. It changes who you are as a person. And just in case, just in case his readers didn't quite understand, Paul gives the blueprint on how to really use the freedom found in Jesus. Galatians 5 and verse 16 and following say this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And just in case you were wondering, Paul was where he was well aware of this conflict. He himself dealt with this. In Romans 7, Paul admits this much, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Paul understood that there was a battle going on between the flesh and between the spirit. And he says, hey, walk in the spirit. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, that sounds great. What does that even mean? What does it mean to walk in the spirit? I want to give you three really quick things. To walk in the spirit means this. First of all, that the spirit lives in you. You can't live by the Spirit unless the Spirit is first living within you. And in Romans 8, we see that every believer is indwelled with the Holy Spirit. That once you become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is poured into your life. And we also have a role to play that we ask every day for more and more of the Spirit. But that's the first way to live by the Spirit is to have the Spirit living in you. If you're not following after Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Him, there's no way you can truly walk by the Spirit because the Spirit does not live within you. And I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. That if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, there's no way you can live or walk by the Spirit. 
Because the very first thing is the Spirit has to live in you. Number two is this, you are influenced by the Spirit. You allow the Spirit to influence what you do in life. The Spirit has a lot of different roles. It's all throughout Scripture. We could spend a whole series on just what the Holy Spirit does. We could probably spend a whole year on what the Holy Spirit does for believers. But we allow the Holy Spirit to influence our lives. And the third way is we pattern our life after that influence. Not only should we be influenced by the Spirit, we should pattern our life after the influence. I don't know if you've ever had someone influence you at work or at school or maybe at, at a ball field or whatever. Now, I used to coach a little bit of baseball, and there was one time that I was, I was coaching. I w it wasn't really my team. I was coaching JV at Richmond Academy, and our team had practice at the field, and there was a game going on with varsity. So I just, after our little batting practice, went into the dugout, and the umpires were making some really bad calls, and the fans were kind of chirping, and that influenced me. Maybe I wanted to talk to the umpires a little bit and tell them my displeasure of the way that they were making decisions that evening. So I was influenced to do that because of other people. At that moment, I had a decision to make. I could let that influence make me do something, or I could just say, although I'm being influenced, I'm not going to do it. So the Spirit, right, can influence you, but you still have to make the decision to pattern your life after that influence. And we're going to talk about this more later. So you say, okay, that kind of makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it does. We walk by the Spirit. We kind of let the Spirit do His work. That, that's awesome. But how do I know if I'm really walking by the Spirit or not? Because that's what we really want to know, right? We want to know if we're, if we're walking in works of the flesh or if we're walking by the Spirit. I mean, that's my question, right? That's what I would want to know. I would want to know, how do I know? If this is so important, and Paul says that we need to walk by the Spirit, how do I know if I'm doing that? And Paul continues on here. Verse 19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's a lot. Paul lists a whole lot of things here. And what I want to do is I just want to break these down for us so that they, they're a little more understandable. So he talks about works of the flesh and these can really be broken down into four categories here. And the first category is sexual sin. It's imperative that we understand, first and foremost, that this is not an exhaustive list. Paul says at the end of this, and things like these. That, hey, here's works of the flesh. And he gives a whole bunch of them. 
And he finishes that section with and things like these. There's more than this, but this gives you an idea of what works of the flesh look like. Sex, sexual sin. He says sexual immorality, which is adultery. He says impurity, which is fornication. He says sensuality, uncleanness, which really is a multitude of sexual sin, from pornography to suggestive speech to a lot of different things when it comes to your mindset and what you view and how you think. And Paul says this is all sexual sin. And then he refers to religious sin with idolatry and sorcery. And idolatry is pretty well understood. That's putting anything above Jesus. When we worship anything more than we worship Jesus, it becomes an idol. That's kind of, people know that, they've heard that. But when we hear the word sorcery, we think, man, that's for witches. I'm not a witch, so I'm cool. I don't do that. It's not a problem here. But I want you to understand something. First of all, sorcery is worship apart from God. But it also, the Greek word here is where we get our word pharmacy. So what sorcery actually refers to is the use of drugs, the use of spells. And it's important that we understand this. William Barclay wrote, this literally means the use of drugs. It came to be very specially connected with the use of drugs for sorcery, of which the ancient world was full. Idolatry and sorcery are both works of the flesh. Anytime we put something and elevate something above God, we're making it an idol. Anytime that we worship apart from God, it is sorcery. Anytime we use drugs, it's sorcery. Anytime that we, we alter our mind with some kind of spell or potion or pill or, or whatever it may be, it's sorcery. And it's a religious sin. The third category is interpersonal sin. And there's a lot of these mentioned. Paul lists enmity, which is hatred, strife, which is an argumentative spirit, jealousy, which is wanting what someone else has, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. And these are all traits of the flesh. These are all opposite of the spirit. And when we see these categories and we see these things, what, what this does is it gives us an idea of, man, how are we living our life? Are we living our life in the flesh or are we living our life in the spirit? The fourth category here is social sin. And Paul hits on drunkenness. Now, he doesn't say drinking, right? I want you to understand this. He says drunkenness. And what drunkenness is, is, is any type of impairness from drinking. I don't know if you remember the commercials, but there's, there's commercials that came out that said, buzz driving is drunk driving. And I want you to understand that anytime you are impaired because of the use of alcohol, that is considered drunkenness. So when you say, man, I got a really good buzz from that drink, and, and, you, and you feel pretty good about it because you didn't get too crazy, if you were impaired at all, the Bible calls that drunkenness. And Paul says that's a work of the flesh. And then he says orgies, which is just wild parties. 
completely against the nature of God. So we, we see that the works of the flesh are, man, there's so many things. There's sexual sin, there's religious sin, there's, there's interpersonal sin, how we treat other people. And then there's social sin, what we do when we're out and we're about and we're doing things socially. And Paul says, I, I warn you, as I've warned you before, that people that do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when we dig deeper into that verse, man, the, the, the verbiage that he uses here in the, the Greek is people that continually, willfully, habitually, continually do this stuff. I don't want you to sit there and be scared that if you mess up, that if you stumble, that, man, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to know that God's grace is enough. But I also want you to know that Paul says, hey, there should be some type of conviction in your life. There should be some type of repentance in your life. That I understand that people are going to fall. Paul admits that in Romans 7, that he struggles. The things that he doesn't want to do, he's doing. The things that he wants to do, he just can't do it. There's a war raging between the spirit and the flesh. So Paul understood this. But he also understood something else. And I want you to hear me this morning. That when grace comes into your life, then you have to be different. That God is going to change you. That God is going to change your desires. That God is going to change you from the inside out. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to mess up. I can't be more like just more clear about that. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. But what it means is we don't live a lifestyle of this stuff. And that we have a repentant heart, that we want to turn back to Jesus, that we're upset when we fall, that we, we, can't, we can't just move forward and keep going once we do something like this because we know that it hurt our Savior. And we know that it's this type of sin, these type of works that nailed Jesus to the cross. And if we truly believe that he is our Savior and we truly put our trust in him and we truly begin to live a life where we follow after him, there's no way that we would want to continue to live a life of willful, habitual sin. Man, our desires will just be different. So if that's what it looks like to live in the flesh, what does it look like to live in the Spirit? And again, Paul gives us a list of characteristics. He says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm just going to stop right there really quickly. I want you to understand that this is, this is singular. He says the fruit of the Spirit. So although we have a list here, although there's going to be nine things that he lists out, this is singular fruit. Now, we talk about spiritual gifts sometimes and how, how God will give different people different spiritual gifts. Maybe I have a couple and you have a couple and maybe you have a couple. Maybe some of them are the same. Some of them may be different. It's like a big bucket and you just kind of throw different things out of the bucket. That is not how the fruit of the Spirit works. The fruit of the Spirit is all of it is given to everyone. 
The fruit of the Spirit is yours as a believer, not some parts of the fruit. It's one fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And this is very important for us. Now let's read what the fruit of the Spirit actually is. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, there's, there's three categories here as well. And he says that, man, here, here's the fruit. Here's what you get as a believer. Now it's up to you to walk by the Spirit, to put this fruit to work. It's yours if you want it. I kind of view this as people at work bringing in some cake for people's birthday, and they're like, hey, man, I know it's not your birthday, but here's a cake. It's yours if you want it. I'm like, yes, sir. I do want it. Just going to be honest with you. Um, as long as there's no coconut, I'm cool, and I'll eat it. And, I mean, that's, that's very minuscule when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, but I want you to understand that that's what this is, that when we become believers— when the Spirit indwells us, that the fruit of the Spirit is ours. It's up to us if we want to live in that or not. It's yours. And here are the three categories. Number one is this. It's in relationship to God. He says love, joy, and peace. These three, you really don't even need anybody else around in your life. This is between you and your Savior. He gives you love because he is love. He is the epitome of love. And because we have a relationship with him and because his spirit lives within us, then we have that type of love as well. And then joy. What I want you to, to understand is this doesn't say happiness. This says joy. There's a difference. Because you can be sad and still have joy. Amen? And people, maybe you're sitting there like, man, you're confusing me. I'm not sure how you can, how you can be sad and, and still have joy. Here's how. Because we have a relationship with the Savior of the world. And he's poured joy into our life. And maybe there's some things going on in our life that cause us some sadness, and that's an emotion for us. And man, we're going to have different emotions. But the joy of the Lord is ours. We have joy in a, in a God who loves us. Everything flows from this love. That's why it's listed first. And because of that love, we have his joy. And his joy is that we have an eternal security in him. That we have the fullness of life in him. That we know he's working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That we know that we are more than conquerors through him. And the joy of the Lord is ours because he willingly gives it to us. And then he says peace, a peace that passes all understanding. No matter what's going on in our life, we have a peace because we know who's in control. We have a peace because we know that God is who he says he is. And some people think that peace is the absence of trouble. That's not peace. P 
Peace isn't the absence of trouble, it's the presence of Jesus. The more that Jesus is there, the more peace we have. The more that we can see Jesus in a situation, the more peace we have. So this first category is relationship to God. The love and the joy and the peace. It really doesn't matter if we were the only person on this earth. We could have love, joy, and peace because of who God is. The second category we see here is in relationship to man. We see patience, kindness, and goodness. I don't know if, if you have kids or not. I know some of you do. If, you're, if you weren't patient before kids, you're probably a little more patient now. And my kids continually teach me patience. But this patience is something different that God's talking about here. This patience is understanding that God is doing something. And we're going to endure until the end because of who he is. It means that, hey, no matter what's happening in our life, we're going to endure this. We're going to continue to push forward. We're going to continue to, to press into who God is. We're going to continue to allow God to do whatever he's doing. We may not understand. We may not agree. But we trust. And we continue to push. And then kindness and goodness. And these kind of go hand in hand, but I want you to understand something, that kindness is something that you, you can do, it's an action, but goodness is something that you are. And I think that as believers, a lot of times we, we kind of interchange these, and we think that if we do a kind act for someone, then we're, we're really pleasing God, or we're checking off a, a box. But I want you to understand that the, the fruit of the Spirit is both. Is that it's not just a kind act. It's a heart of goodness because God is good. How many of you in here believe that God is good and truly believe that? Raise your hand. Be bold about it. God is a good God and because He is a good God, we should have goodness. It's a fruit of His Spirit. So just because you do something kind for someone, if your heart's wrong, it really doesn't matter what you did. That's why we've been saying that it's from the inside out. That's, that's the type of relationship that we have with Jesus. And we don't want to do something kind just because other people may see it and give us praise. We don't want to do something kind just because we think we're supposed to. We want to do something kind because our heart is good, because our God is good. And we want to be different. And we want to be changed forever. The third category here is in relationship to adversity. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now we know as Christians and we see in Scripture that we're going to face trials and tribulations in our life. But thanks be to God that because of his spirit, we have fruit when it comes to adversity. That we, we have the faithfulness to, to trust in what God is doing. 
that we have the, gentle, the gentleness not to lash out at people. That when people treat you bad, it doesn't mean that you have to treat them bad. It means that you're gentle, that you're meek. Doesn't mean that you get walked on or that you get abused or that you let people take advantage of you. It just means that you are gentle because of the Spirit of God. Paul called out people all the time. We, we saw at our outdoor service that Paul called Peter out in front of everybody. And there's going to be times that we, that we have to have those type of conversations. But we do it with a gentle spirit because that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then we see self-control. And self-control means that we understand that the Spirit is stronger than anything that we could ever face and that we're not. So self-control, people talk about this all the time. You got to have discipline. You have to have self-control. You have to do this. You have to do that. And here's what I've learned throughout my, my short life is that there's no way that dust and triggers can have self-control apart from the Holy Spirit. And for me, that's in a lot of different areas. Man, if I want to stop eating certain food, I'm going to have to pray about it. And I'm just being honest. That's, that's a spiritual thing for me because I don't have self-control without the Spirit. That's how, that's how I am. That's how I'm wired. I'm not saying the same for you, but I'd be willing to say that your self-control isn't quite where you would like it to be because we don't have the strength. But, it's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. And because of who the Spirit is and because of what the Spirit gives us, we can live a life of self-control. So what does all this mean? What does it mean to see all these works of the flesh and these works of the Spirit? And if we're living by the Spirit, then, I mean, what, is, what does it all mean? Why did Paul write it? And here's the point. That a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. A corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. And we've seen, not only throughout the book of Galatians, but throughout Scripture, that none of us are good. That, it, that we're just not good people apart from Jesus. That's the truth. And that's what we have to understand this morning. And without him, we can produce no good fruit. And as we, as we close this morning, that's what Paul's whole letter has been about. Is that without the grace of God, there's no way we can live a life that is pleasing to him because there's no way we can produce good fruit. There's no way that we can have a relationship with him it doesn't matter how good we think we are or how well we follow the law or how well we, we obey the Ten Commandments. None of that matters if we don't have God's grace. And Paul continually says that in this letter. But then he goes deeper and says, hey, you're called to freedom through Christ, but this is how you should live in freedom. It shouldn't be to do whatever you want to do. 
Freedom in Christ doesn't give you the license to keep sinning. It gives you the power of the Holy Spirit to change your life. That's what freedom is. It frees us from having to obey the law, and then it changes us to want to be more like Jesus. Listen to me this morning. We can tell if someone is walking by the Spirit because they will look a lot like Jesus. So if you want to know if you're living by the Spirit, man, are the, are, are the fruits evident in your life? Are the works of the flesh more evident in your day-to-day? Man, this is, a, this is an important question. And this is, this is really something that we, we just can't overlook. We can't just run by it and say, well, I'm pretty sure I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm pretty sure I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm not really, not really sure, but I'm pretty sure. And I want you to be 100% confident when you leave this place today that you're walking in the Spirit, that you're not walking in the flesh, and that your life demonstrates that. That this sexual sin that Paul lists, that that's not a part of who you are. That you don't willfully participate in that. That you have a repentant heart when you do stumble, when you do fall. This religious sin of of elevating stuff above God, of, of drug use or portions or spells or sorcery or worshiping apart from God, that that's not a part of your life. That you have a, a heart that, that breaks when you fall in to these types of sin. And that you don't have a life full of hatred and, and strife and an argumentative spirit and all the different interpersonal sins that were listed. That that's not who you are because that is opposite of the spirit. And this social sin, the the drunkenness and the wild parties, that that's not you, that you don't willfully, habitually participate in these things. Because if that's your life and that's who you are, then you're not walking in the Spirit. You're living in the flesh. And that's why it's is so amazing to me and I'm so grateful that Paul went deeper that he didn't just stop with the freedom in Christ but how to use that freedom and we don't use that freedom to continue on in sin we use that freedom to live for Jesus we use that freedom and we have the fruit of the spirit to guide us along. And it should be evident in the life of the believer. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm not trying to tell anyone that they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. This is what I'm trying to tell you, that the Bible is clear. That if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
And that if your life looks like works of the flesh and there's no repentance, there's no conviction, and you're just constantly walking away from Jesus, then I'm afraid that you probably don't have a relationship with him. And you're on your way to an eternity separated from him. That's the truth. So what is evident in your life this morning? Is it flesh or is it the fruit of the Spirit? Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.